Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, pleasure to have in studio with us a very distinguished actor and performer performing currently on Broadway here in New York and elsewhere soon. And we'll let you know a little bit how about how you can find him and what you can find out about him. He had been on my live show within the last year introduced by one of our regular guests, uh, Rick Rosendahl. And the title of his signature performance is what we're going to talk a little bit about and why it's so important and, and really what he's been able to do in his role. And that role is in American More. We're honored to have with us and make it plain Keith Hamilton Cobb. My brother, how are you, man? Good to see you. Wonderful. Thank you for having thank, me. Thank you for, for taking the trouble to stop by. So your American More is on stage in New York? Yeah, a uh, uh, slight correction. It's off-Broadway. It's down at Cherry Lane Theater in the West Village on Commerce Street. But that in itself, after seven years of development, is, is right. quite a feat that we're very proud of. Yeah, and off-Broadway is no small thing. No small thing. Not so this is the first time off-Broadway. Yes, yeah, off-Broadway premiere debut, as it were, for this piece, which has been in development for seven years. For seven years. How did the idea of American Moore about? This is a, a, always such a hard question to answer. I'm sure there's a Reader's Digest version, but that's inevitably too short, so I'm going to try and give you something <laughs> in the middle. I have been an African-American male for 57 years. I'm going to guess that you are slightly older than me, but not by much. No, Keith, you know, I'm it, not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool, brother. But I, I never would have guessed you were 57. Okay. I, 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 put well, I, I apologize. Well, no, put it this way. You're not off. I would have still thought you younger than me, mm -hmm. but it's flipped a little bit. I am, I'll be 53 this, at the end of this year. Oh, God bless but you. But I still would have thought God you were younger than me in my 53. All right. Well, in, in either case, you know, there's an argument that says both of us as American males, if you look at statistics, have survived our life expectancy, you yeah. know, and there are all sorts of reasons for that. I, it's not just extrajudicial killing. It's not just criminal bias, but all sorts of violence against the African-American diaspora, as it were. A complete disconcern 
if that's a word, mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. or, or if there is a concern, it's a proactive concern towards hate, towards keeping it in its place, yeah. you know, as it were. And I have been an actor for at least 30 of those 57 years. And in my naivete, growing into black manhood and growing into my skills as an actor, I thought that they were somehow separate. And it was completely my naivete. I thought that the American theater prides itself in leaning left. Mm. Uh, and the sense that you get is we can check all that at the door. And we go into a, a theater situation and, and everything is an equal playing field in there. And it was the realization for me that it was not. Where my black manhood met my maturation as an African-American actor and I realized that everything I did, whatever is within the culture, where the culture goes, everything within it goes that same direction, and theater as well. So there is bias there. There is this, this sense that my creative ideas don't matter. My creative stature, talent, ability, it is seen through a particular lens. As long as there's a power structure that holds the money and makes choices about you know, what's getting done and what's not getting done, then I'm being looked at through that lens. Mm -hmm. And this all sort of came to a head seven years ago at, at an audition that I was doing for a Shakespeare play, for a classical play, where I was uh, uh, auditioning opposite a, a much younger white male who had just looked like he'd just gotten out of school and was, uh, was being appointed to do this production in a, a very prominent regional theater. And he was talking to me about his ideas, and his ideas were sort of highfalutin and all over the place. And I realized that he had people, there were people in the room who he had to impress. There was an artistic director, and there was a casting director, and people who he had. So he, too, was on stage. He, too, mm -hmm. is, is performing for some folks and making his bones, as it were. He asked me to audition, and I had done the role uh, several times. And I, I did my audition, and they sent me out of the room and talked about me for a while, and a, a while longer. And, and somebody finally came out and said, OK, that's, you're done. You know, thank you. And I had learned years and years before not to take any of this personally. And we're actors, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to yeah, have rejection. Right, we're going right. to deal with that, right? So right. leave it in the room and go eat, go sleep, go right. play ball, go do whatever you're right, going to do. Right, right. You know? And this particular day, I left thinking, that is not only rude, what just happened, and disrespectful, but there was no conversation about what I bring to this. Just show me your audition. These are the things I want to see from you, and go away. And, you know, there's an argument can be made that that's what we do as actors. Right. But it certainly shouldn't be what we do as African Americans, as, you know. It shouldn't be, we should not be judged by walking in the door. You know? mm -hmm. And it was the melding of these two ideas that, that sort of I was so inconsolable that I had to put it on paper. And what I sort of vomited out onto the page in a day and a half was cathartic, but it was jumbled emotion. Mm -hmm. you know, 30 pages of jumbled emotion. Now, you can't hand the, the, the public your emotion. Right. You, know, you have right. to give it form. But my colleagues who read it said, no, there's something very important here. There's something that you're after here that's very clear. It's vibrating, you know. And as I began to shape it and shape it and put it in front of people, the people speaking back to the piece were myriad from all walks of life, from all across the sexual spectrum, the age spectrum, the mm. race spectrum, all saying, I understand this. This is about me. Okay. You know, this isn't about you. This is about, <laughs> about me. And it's really just one black man standing up there for 90 minutes of, of this play. And I started to realize that if you tell a story about not being recognized, not being realized, not being honored as a unique individual, everybody can relate to that story. Right, you know? right, right. And they begin to look at how they have looked at other people and done just that. 
there's this, this moment of sort of realization and then catharsis for them. They say, oh wait, I've behaved that way. Right, right, you know? right. And they leave the theater thinking something might, might change in them, in the world. And that has been the experience over seven years, putting this in front of people, you know, audiences coming. And you know, certainly there is the issues specific to African-Americans, you know, because that's who's doing it. There are those. There are the issues specific to actors. There are issues specific to English academics, because you know, the play is the nexus of all those things. But what I am most profoundly moved by is you know, the first person to speak back to this play was a Jewish high school girl. The first performance we ever did of this play, we really? did a little talk back, and a little girl got up and said, that's me. That's me. Nobody, nobody hears me. Nobody sees me. I am unique, and nobody, wow. and nobody understands that. Wow. And we thought, uh-oh, okay, yeah. this, is, this is the thing. It, it's crossing over yeah. into a lot of experiences. So in that experience of realization you had, tell us more about the moment when you realize you weren't just being treated or dismissed just as an actor, as many actors feel they're being dismissed in whatever context. But was there a moment when it was very clear that race was playing a role in, in the indifference and dismissal towards you? There have been moments throughout my career. Okay. There was not okay. a moment in this specific example I see, that I, I just see. related to you. But here's the tricky thing. We can all look back over a career and right. point and say, this was this and that was that, and there's, there's deniability all over it, right? Yeah, Everybody right. can say, oh, that, that wasn't what happened. Yeah. You know, and there's no way for you to prove it. But over time... Our sense of, you know, we see, and this is, this is in everything that we do, mm-hmm. not just in the theater, it's out Absolutely. in the street. Oh, you yeah. know? And there will always be that deniability. People say, well, no, it's not that. This is an isolated case. Right. This is a, it's never an isolated case. This is a pattern born of 400 years of illness from the slave trade onward. It's in the culture. It's, it's in the society. It is, it is endemic. It is woven into the fabric of what we are. And until that changes, this is what it is. And it's going to affect me and all the things that I do just right. like it affects everybody else. And because what I do, more than anything, all I ever wanted to do in my life is be an actor. I wow. never wanted to do anything else for money. And because it is what I continue to come back to, I cannot now not see that that plays a role in how I'm perceived. And when we come, you know, American Moore is about Othello specifically. You know, you'd think after being told for 25 years that you should play Othello, that you could walk into a room and have somebody see you as the dream come true. Right, right, right. He's the right age. He's been looking at his play all his life. He's got things to say about it. He's clearly intelligent. He can clearly speak the verse. So why is there still a conversation? Why do I have to impress you at this point? Why, why don't you just see that this is perfect? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And you're a natural. Well, I mean, people would argue with you, but, that, but, certainly, <laughs> but, <laughs> so. but, but certainly the culprit right. is bias and privilege and privileged perspective. So, folks, one of the things that's unique about American Moore, uh, and it's something everyone should see and, and extraordinary, is, you know, there is the director there involved in it. And I hope I'm not giving too much away just by saying that you're on stage, and it is as if the rest of us are sitting in the audience with the director. In American Moore, is the director emblematic of all of the cumulative experience you've had, or is there also a little bit of that person from seven years ago specifically in there? When we wrote him, when I wrote him, he was an omnipresent voice. He I was not you. visible. He was a guy in a booth with a microphone. So you heard oh, this really? voice, okay. and you could not pinpoint where that voice was coming from. And in the writing, I felt that that is the voice of a culture. That is the voice of a society right. that says, right. we will accept this, you will do that. And no one hears that voice more loudly, I think, than African Americans who have been told for 
several generations, for hundreds of years, these are the things that you can be. These are the things that you can't. This is the way you will behave. If you raise your voice, we're going to shut you down. Yeah. If you ain't going to behave this way, we're going to shut that down. Yeah. You know. I know and more about this than you do, just automatically. Y- yes. <laughs> yes. There's no way you know more than me about this, right? And what happened was when we went to London with the piece, we were at the, the Wanamaker Playhouse at Shakespeare's Globe in London, and they had no sound facilities. It's all Jacobean replica. Uh, so it's okay. candlelight. And just wow. plain voice, you know. So we had to find a way to have that character present. And we put him in a house. We were working it out in a, the theater in New Jersey. And we put him in the house and brought in an audience. His presence created a reaction among audience that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, yeah. Know? That was great. I, I, I like that. I like, I like the way that's done and for him to, to be right there. In terms of, well, I'm curious now, being in London, I mean, where, you know, that's the home of Shakespeare. How was it received? They dug it. They loved it. And we want to go back. We were there as part of a conference, the Shakespeare and Race Conference, the first annual Shakespeare and Race Conference that they have at, okay. at uh, Shakespeare's Globe. So there were a great many scholars, but there were also quite a few London actors. And, you know, they are having their bias and racial issues just like we are. They're slightly different, but they're very interested in in what's happening, especially now in the United States. They have their problems with Brexit and all that, but they're also looking at the U.S. because the U.S. is this ally and this leader and, uh, you know, what's going to happen with that? What's going to happen with all their, you know? So they were very, very intently listening. Also, because they are English, they are taught Shakespeare from grade school, so yeah. you can start three lines of any speech, and they know they, they know, know they where know you're where going. They know right. they know already where you're right. going. They're way right. ahead of you. I don't get that here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was beautiful. What was it like being in front of an audience that knew every word like that? Is that even more challenging? It's not. It's not because they're with you. They okay. love that you speak it. It's like sharing a language. Okay. You know, they love that you speak it, and they know exactly where you're going. Three lines of Juliet, and they know it's Juliet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You say gallop a pace and they know exactly and they're, and they're already way ahead of you. And they like all of America. Nobody, nobody has seen a piece like this. You know, I'm going to blow my own horn here for a minute. But this is a, this is a truly unique piece of theater right. as far as I can tell. I have not seen anything like it. But not only that, it's Othello within Othello. So you get a modern day Othello portraying the fictional Othello. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost like what we used to use in school, cliff notes. <laughs> you know, you get the cliff notes. To, well, what is this really about? You kind of like a human cliff note in terms of showing us what the play was about as a mirror to ourselves. Wow, okay, yes. that's, that's me. And what's so beautiful about that is we were concerned early on that only people who had read and understood Clearly, the story of Othello, familiar with Shakespeare, would get this play, and that has not been the case. Okay. People do not feel like having seen seen the play. They will say, I, "I've never read Othello. I don't. I wasn't raised on Shakespeare, but right. I was with you. I understand this implicitly." Yeah, but for the for the Londoners, maybe, and even the Othello experts, did they also appreciate the modern day interpretation of it as well? The scholars make their living speaking back to perhaps finding fault with other scholars' interpretations (laughs) of what, you know. So there are those people, and there will always be those people who need to speak back. But there are all these people who need to speak back to, say, the 1619 Project because, just as a matter of course, because we put this out here, so now my job job is not to hear it, see it, but to to push, right, that's right. And we have those, and that's fine, but the vast majority of people are leaving the theater saying, I gotta go think about this, man, you know. You said you've always known you wanted to be an actor. When did you first know that in your life? When I was in high school, I wasn't a terribly social 
child. I wouldn't have gone out for, you know, clubs and social things. I wouldn't have done that. I have my rolling buddies, and we go and do what we did, but I wouldn't get involved in stuff. We ended up going to a play, a high school play one night, nothing to do, you know, have a go half drunk, go sit in this play, and it was Arthur Miller's The Crucible, high school production, and nothing particularly special about it. I'm sure if I saw it now, I, I would think it left a lot to be desired. But at that time, I did not know the play. I did not know the playwright. I was totally uneducated. Both the play, this iconic American play, and the performance of the guy playing John Proctor in the play were stunning to me. I was mm. stunned into this is a, a remarkable, amazing, cathartic, moving thing in, in the way that I didn't experience many things at that time in my life. So I saw that, but I would not have been there for the drama club or anything like that. So I went back to doing what I was doing, and I was studying English, just like it says in, in uh, American Moore. I was studying English in community college, thinking I was going to be a, a writer or an English teacher. I, I, I didn't know. You know. I liked the words. And we were working with Shakespeare a lot, and it wasn't, I wasn't synthesizing. It wasn't coming off the page, just me reading it in a way it was boring. It put me to sleep. And then I happened to see some particularly well-done performances, of which, you know, they're not a whole lot right now in mm -hmm. America. We don't, we're not doing it all that well for reasons that have nothing to do with talent, generally speaking. Mm. But I saw some particularly well-performed productions, and I said, oh, that's what this is about. This is about, this is live. This isn't something you read, mm. right? And you combine that with this thing that, that I had been taught, I don't know, I, I believe you probably have been taught too, to keep your emotion as a black male, don't get up, right, up, 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 right. you know, don't get up because that's not going to, it will not go well. Right, right, right. You just keep an eye on that. You just keep, mm -hmm. and I realized that all these characters were able to say, open their mouths, say whatever the hell they wanted, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. in the most beautiful flowing poetry, you know, that, uh, ever written. It just moved me so when I, when I heard people really speak it, you know, get their whole mouths and articulators and lips and teeth around it, you know, mask and, and lungs. And it's truly sort of uh, erotic thing that happens with actors in Shakespeare. Where they're putting their whole bodies into this work. And I said, if I can do that, then I can express. Right. I can express all this emotion. Unsuppressed. Unsuppressed. Right. Right. I guess you would say that's the place where I came back to theater, but then there is this caveat that all of a sudden you realize that there's still a gatekeeper, and what role you get to play is up to somebody else. Is up to somebody else, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the question of why they choose you for this and not that gets back to that. I can look back and point and say, this is why, mm -hmm. and somebody else can say, no, nah, that's not why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not why. That's, that's, right. that's just you, man. That's your imagination. Yeah, yeah. Gaslighting you. you. That's right. You mentioned something just now, though. You don't think it's being very Shakespeare that is being done very well mm -hmm. right now. Talk to us about that. In America, I just think I just I just think our theater in general, you know, as a rule, and there are certainly wonderful exceptions, but I think our theater in general has become such a money game in, in our rapidly capitalist culture, which is only getting more so. And I don't know that there's anything to do about that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just it's just the motion of history, you know. But it all comes down to money and mm -hmm. and. Art is art and money is money, and the two have never gone together. They have, no, they have never, <laughs> never complemented each other very well. And we make our theater in a, a very limited frame and with very limited set of people, a very limited set of ideas, because it is the shortest route to, quote-unquote, success. But then you have to decide what is success. If success is making money, yes, that's the shortest route to success. If success is doing something transcendent that the culture will remember forever, 
that will have changed them, have nurtured them as a people, that has, will have made us grow like I think American more does. And again, I'm, you know, you got to come see it. You, you know, I'm blowing my own horn again here. But yes. if you watch people leave this theater saying the things that they're saying and scratching their heads and thinking and crying and, and wanting it and lining up to talk about it and express the things that it has brought up in them, you say, wow, this piece is doing that. This piece has the ability to change hearts and minds, you know, and create new standards. You know, mm-hmm. and that's bold. That's bold of me to say, you know. I mean, I, you know, it, it is up for everybody else to come and decide whether or not that's true. But I see it. And I think more of our theater needs to do that because I think it can save us. Hitler, you know, gave a lot of money to dance and stuff that, you know, was an opiate. Made people, you know, they didn't, he didn't want any political theater. He didn't want any theater. He didn't want the Brechtian theater that made people think about what was going on. You know, yeah, he went. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's portions of our governmental system, the governmental body that feels the same way. Yeah, keep them quiet. Give them stuff that makes them laugh. Right. Make them, you know. And you can train audiences to believe that they're getting excellence when they're getting mediocrity. You can train audiences to believe that they're getting steak when you're actually giving them hot dogs. Wow. You know. Wow. Yeah. And we do. Just the point that comes to mind as you say that, when I talk to some movie actors and they lament the state of movie making and now everything geared more toward the superhero franchises, is that's not in your repertoire you might not make it right now. Now, don't get me wrong, I watch all the superhero movies too, but but that is part of the capitalism now. That's what everything is driving. Mm -hmm. So I guess what you're saying, the stage is somewhat similar. I mean, I don't see, we had like one or two superhero movies on stage here in New York, I don't know how many, but uh, but still there's something going on where it's, it's lighter, it's not, the meat on the bones, I think, that you're talking about. That's right, and, and the unique independent art form, whether it be in TV, film, or on stage, is harder to fund. It's harder, I mean, yeah. I, I, I thought, I think I saw uh, De Niro the other day talking about the new Scorsese movie, The Irishman, yeah, right, which right. is a Netflix right, thing, right, so it's right. limited, you know. Right. He, he was saying, Martin Scorsese is looking for a way to fund his art, so he's going wherever they're going to let him, you're going to yeah. give me the money, I'm going to make my art with you. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. That's where we and, are. And that's just where we are, so he's not to be blamed. You mentioned high school. Where'd you grow up again? Westchester County. About so you, so this, is, this is home. This is home. And you've been a, a teacher as well, haven't you? In some form of fashion. I mean, I never hung out a shingle and said, I got something to tell you. Right, you give right. me money, I, you know, yeah, I'm, right. you know I, I got the truth to hand you. But you've had I, students. You've taught students, right? Yeah, and I think, I think we're always teaching by example if we, if we can, especially in, in this business. You know, people who are actual teachers in colleges say, can you come speak to my students? And I always honor the energy of being asked for. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell them I have advice. I have thoughts. I have a life in this business. So if you have questions, I can answer them. Yeah. But I'm not here to teach you how to act. I can't. I have no idea how that, how that works. When you share your experience and even when American Moore shared how do you say to people who are aspiring how do you tell the story without them necessarily feeling discouraged most of the people who I talk to have made a choice they're in acting school they have been bitten by whatever the bug. Right. Hopefully, for most of them, it's something that is deeply within them because I feel like it's not a choice. You kind of either got that or you don't. Yeah. And if you don't, you will be discouraged soon enough and go find something else to do, be a stockbroker right. or whatever. You know. But the rest of them, I think it's difficult to discourage them. I think that I can tell them the truth and they appreciate it. And I can tell them that you too are truth tellers. That's what this job is. You are the alchemist. You, know? you discern truth in the time of post-truth. Right? And you put it out there, 
and you need to commit to that. So your skills need to be strong. You need to train until you know your skills are good so you have no doubt that what you go in an audition with is everything it needs to be. Then you can leave and worry about you know, what they think. That's right. another thing. You practice self-love. Right? You learn to love yourself radically so you know, nobody can take away you from you. And then you do the work, and we need you to do that work. I think that this character in American War is standing up there having that battle with himself right, right. in this play. You know, and as he gets to the end of the play, it is clear that he is, he, America is stuck with you, Mark Thompson. You ain't leaving. You ain't not being you. They'll have to kill you. Mm. And they might. Yeah. They might. Lord knows. But they're stuck with you. And I tell these performers, they are stuck with you. They don't have to hire you. But you don't have to be anything other than true to the truth that you have learned to discern, that you have done the work to figure out what's nonsense and what's the truth. What's next for American Moore, off-Broadway now? What's the big picture? What's the big plan? You know, man, I wish, I wish I knew. I've spent so much time getting it here. This is one point of fruition, and I've had my head in it just getting up to do the shows every week. And it's been a great run. Now, I've got a bunch of serious, smart producers working on this thing, and we haven't really had the conversation about where it goes next or how it gets there. I know that there is some publishing that needs to be done because there's this whole academic track that is happening with it. It's uh, a lot of scholarly commentary about the play, and when we have been at colleges, it's not just theater students that come to the play or want to engage in classrooms, but it's diversity students, it's political science students, it's Africana students, you know. They all want to engage on this play. So, and that's, a, again, the nexus of all that is very interesting. There's going to be more of that. Publishing is, is, is a thing that I have to get on and figure out what's the best way to do that. But as far as where the next place to see the show is, I don't have anything to tell you because I just don't know. Okay. No. But why not Broadway? I mean, I see this on Broadway at some point. You don't know how much I appreciate you saying that. It has I mean, to be. Well, I mean, it's almost criminal if it's not. I mean, Broadway needs it on Broadway. I, uh, and I don't even see it as, as a, even if folk do the capitalist thing. I mean, this is good. And in this day and age, and, you know, dude helps us with his foolishness every day. Mm-hmm. And we know who I'm talking about. Yes. So, so I mean, it seems to me that's the kind of thing... I was sitting here hoping you'd say that because I didn't want to, you know. I'm, oh, I no, 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 I, absolutely. I, I, you know, um, this needs to be on Broadway, and I'll take, you know, I'd even say on Broadway and or performed as something on HBO. Yes, we're looking at that, like too. That. Looking at that, too, to do something like a filmic version of the stage play a la yeah, Spike Lee. That's like right, what he absolutely, did with, uh, absolutely. Uh, what was the way? He did the Mike Tyson thing. The Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, uh, Passing Strange. That's right, that's right. You know, yes, something like that it w- it would lend itself grandly. And I mean, honestly, like if that, Netflix yeah. is behind that, I'd do it on Netflix if it's not HBO. I mean, I, people need to see this. Yeah. I agree, man, I'm, I, and I, I so love you for saying that because I think they really do. I think it has a power that I haven't seen a lot of theater have in a long time, and I've been looking at lots of theater for all my life. Keith is absolutely right. In this play, you will see yourself, especially if you're an African-American, but if you feel that you have been diminished or been treated indifferently because of who or what people perceive you to be, this is something that you absolutely must see. And unfortunately, in this field, a lot of times people don't appreciate the greatness or iconic status, but for years from now. But, I mean, I think, you know, in the long run, I will be able to say at some point that American Moore is right up there in terms of, of drama, black drama, African-American, dramatic canon, when we look at all the other, you know, great playwrights that we've had, being Antozaki Shange or August Wilson, American Moore 
deserves to be right up there. And especially because of what it depicts, because Othello, pardon me, has always been the thing that, well, of late we've been considered for. That's kind of the play that Shakespeare wrote for us, I guess. And yet, even in that context, we've not been able to really be ourselves or understand what it's all about. So I put it in that category. And it's hard to see it when you're in the midst of it. You don't appreciate history when you're in the middle of making it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, nobody ever does. So, but down the road, I, I, I think that's where this is headed. And I'm not just saying that because you said next to me, brother, it's, it's good. And yeah, you're right. And this story has not been told in that way and been portrayed in that way. And you're speaking to the experiences of every black performer, dramatist, playwright, whatever you want to, you are speaking to those cumulative experiences. And folks, if you're not on the stage, you will see yourself. When you get them to go to that good government job, that's an American more. Mm -hmm. When you get up to go work anywhere, that's in corporate America, that's American more. Having been in media all my life, I saw me in here. It got a little, got a little close to home for me. I almost had to step out for a minute. I said, I don't know, it's getting a little rough. I don't know, if I, it's, it's too much on my street. But uh, it is that important. Preach, man. I'm so grateful to you. I think your audience can go to AmericanMore.com and look it up and keep an eye on that. Any other projects you're looking at or working on or thinking about? Or I'm writing another play. I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I don't know how that's going to go, where that's going to go. I feel like American Moore is such a... I think I somehow exceeded my skills, and I, I can't tell you how I did it. I think I might have been channeling some other playwright or something because <laughs> my writing is usually not this good. I have to be straight up and honest. I'm sort of I marvel at how wonderful a play American War is. But, but as I'm saying, working. it's not just you. That's the ancestors too. You. Yes. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Exactly. And, and precisely. And I think that my journey in the industry, for all that it has been and has not been, culminated in this. I can look back now. All the times I asked why, why me, why this, how come this isn't going right. Well, it was so I could write this play yeah. right, that is moving so many people. So, yeah, I don't know exactly <laughs> what's next. I've been so up in this, and I, I want to push this to whatever fruition. Right, of course. You know, so I've got this right now, but I'll let you know. So are, are you still considering, or have you been auditioning for other roles in other spaces, or are you just kind of... I, I have not been. Okay. I'm ready to. Okay. I mean, I'm here. You know, I'm ready to begin to do that again now that this is where it's at. So hopefully that will start again. I think my agent would very much like that. <laughs> I think he'd be quite happy if I, uh, if I pick up the phone again. Keith Hamilton Cobb, AmericanMore.com. And folks, you can also stay tuned there. If you're wherever you are, I'm sure the play will be in other places. And some of y'all have the ability to bring it where you are. So uh, consider that uh, as well. Looking forward to the publishing and the teaching tools and everything. And just congratulations, brother. And if there's anything to be best known for, it's this. So keep up with the good work. Look forward to other stuff you're writing, too. That's what geniuses do. They write their own plays. Yes. Duke Ellington wrote his own music. That's what you do. All right. Keith Hamilton Cobb. Good to see you, brother. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. All right. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.